Hey guys, this is Greg Feldon. When I'm not asking what could possibly go wrong, I'm listening to The Jukebox Graduate. I'm Eugene Edwards, and this is The Jukebox Graduate. And I am here with my partner, Dave Rayburn. Hi, Dave. And uh, we are very, 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 very happy to uh, be welcoming a, a, a special guest today on our episode and a, a friend of mine for maybe Long 20 time, years. Um, we have Ted Russell Camp with us. Well, hello. Thanks for having me as a guest. And, um, and Ted is uh, not just a guest, but he's also a host at the same time. That's right. Somehow. We're actually here at, at, uh, at his studio. What's the name of your studio? Is it The, the Den. The Den. The Den. Um, and uh, so he's been gracious enough to have us over. Um, and he's also gracious enough to live just a few blocks from me. Thank you. Nice. <laughs> that worked out really well. Yeah, cool. Yeah. He's uh, the, the best friends are the convenient ones, aren't they? <laughs> so uh, let's see. We need to get caught up on a few things. And we're certainly going to talk to Ted about because uh, Ted's a you're a very prolific person. Um, and so there's a there's a lot of ground to cover here. Um but uh, first, and, and feel free, you're going to chip in uh, with all these things. Oh, great. Um, Dave, what, what is our first chunk of, uh, of material for this well, month's episode? I think the first thing you and I have to jump into, if uh-huh. I know you at all, it's the announcement of the new Bruce Springsteen album, Western Stars, coming out June 14th, okay. 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, what have you heard about this? Um, it, uh, he, his description was it somehow is like, his early, really early material, and it reflects late '60s, early '70s pop stuff. Yeah, or, he's it's a jewel box of a what did he say? I don't know. A jewel box of a record. Of a record. Uh, okay. You know, sweeping. You know, there's like cinematic some symphony type stuff backing it up. And I'm thinking, oh, cool. And and some of the early references in an interview he did was uh, Burt Bacharach mm-hmm. and uh, the Jimmy Webb, Jimmy Webb Campbell sure. stuff. But then I saw a comment from somebody I know this morning that listened to the first single called Hello Sunshine. I've heard that a couple times. And, yeah. uh, and this person referenced Harry Nilsson. Those empty streets, no one around. Fall in love with lonely, you end up that way. Hello sunshine, won't you stay? Well, that makes talking. sense. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah, and I think that's because of a particular uh, harmonic movement in there mm-hmm. that I've noticed. And, and it's, I usually hear like major sevenths, which you haven't heard in Springsteen music for a very, very long mm-hmm. time. Don't get too technical. But I, I kind of, Jimmy Webb, Harry Nilsson, that, that's all very, very related. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it, it sounds beautiful. It, yeah. It's beautifully played. Um, I don't know if that's Marty Rifkin on Steel or not. Yeah, I'm not I like sure. to think it is. Um, John Bryan plays on the record. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, it sounds lovely. I'm happy for him. I'm excited. 13 new songs. <laughs> you so, know, uh... I, I still kind of felt, and my complaints about recent Springsteen material, and we try to never get too negative, but he'll be fine, um, is that I'm, I miss the detail of his work. And so I think in his description, he mentioned something about characters or something like that. And yeah, I thought, yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I still feel like it's like a lot of really general very general descriptions of stuff you know it's the clouds are gray hello sunshine will you stay and i think 
I, I kind of miss. I miss the old. I miss the engine specs. I I I, I, I miss the. Well, I maybe miss with the street this, names. If he's getting, if or if he's gonna enjoy and not be afraid to wear all those influences like Nielsen and Jimmy Webb. Like well, that's great. Late sixties and early mid seventies. Like those are really profound songwriters. Oh, and that was a deep part of the development of songwriting. You know? Very, very much so. So maybe there will be other songs where he gets... I hope so, because gets if you more think about... MacArthur Park and detailed and funky oh, well, and yeah. even like Spirits <laughs> in the Night or some of this like... Do you want better? I wouldn't be surprised. If you think about the amount of detail, how much we know about the Wichita linemen in two relatively short verses. Yeah. Um, we know about certain technical worries of his job. We know about... Uh, the, the, the amount of time he's going to get off and what he'll do with that time and to straddle the heartbreak and the longing that that person uh, contains. Yeah. And, and for the observer, he's just this guy up in a cherry picker that we drive by from the outside. It's just some guy who maintains our, our, <laughs> our communications, <laughs> but on the inside, there's this whole world of, of missing and needing someone and like in this new, this Hello Sunshine, mm. the Sunshine song, he, I think the opening line says something about heartache, like, you know, having heartache. And yeah. I, I thought, yeah, but you used to tell us exactly what broke your heart. In line one. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's sort of the thing I'm I kind of, but that's just me. Bruce, again, Bruce, not telling him how to write a song. Wow. He's getting mm. universal and it's, it's even more relatable. But just for me, that's kind of the connection that I'm missing. But it sounds, and you're right, Ted, you make a great point. I love it when an artist, especially of his vintage, um, just completely reworks their the sound of what they're going to put out. Not enough people do. Yeah, I'll yeah. tell you, can I say, there's a guy, I don't think we give enough credit to Robert Plant. I don't mm. think we give it for his recent output. Um, there was something I heard, I think, from the 2014 release, and we should play a snippet of it. Just, just, just take a listen to this. So this guy is not interested in trying to sound like his 20-year-old self in any way, but his music is, I think it's so interesting. I think the guy's just getting, within himself, I think he's getting better, and we're not giving him the credit. Um... I, you know that that his his recent work really it, it might be some of the best work of his life. Oh, that Raising we Sand album. Well, that's it. a great example yeah. though, where where um that could have been that could have been a lazy project, but um but it certainly but wasn't. it wasn't. It wasn't. That was right, a really right. subtle and wonderful project. Yeah. And I just I love that it seems as though he's understood if I sing I can do more things at a softer level, you know. And his voice is still this stretchable instrument. But he's just doing different things with it, and also just just the quality of what he's putting out, man. It's just it's. I just think we don't give enough credit. That's all. That's all. So good for you, Robert. Good job by you. <laughs> yeah, I love what he's doing lately. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so yeah, excited. Uh, all you Springsteen freaks, uh, congratulations! You've got your uh, your nineteenth studio album from the Yay. Day. Yeah. And and yeah. on the Springsteen topic as well, uh, I I madly texted you about a week or so back <laughs> uh, regarding what Nugs. 
Net puts out. Do you know uh, what that is, Ted? Yeah, are you familiar? Okay, no. so, okay so, it's it, like a live archive uh, that's commercially available. Um, uh-huh. There's a lot of artists that are on there. Stuff. Oh, oh well, no, you're right. There's, there's a lot of artists. artists. I think I want to say Fish is on there. I want to say that makes sense. I mean, there's a lot of bands that do this sort of thing, mm-hmm. like Metallica and Pearl Jam. You know, the artists that put out every show off the board, professionally mixed, and so fans that go buy a ticket may also go buy their you know the three cd set of the show they just oh, saw yeah. as well and it's really a great keepsake for for fans just a little bit of a nostalgia springsteen joined up with nugs.net a few years back and uh they started putting out some archive shows from back in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and so forth and then the last tour or two i think every show from the tour was being made available within weeks after the oh, show that's great and uh so it's just a great souvenir for people to get but mm-hmm. i've been lucky enough to uh have attended several of the archive shows that they've they've released. Yeah, from, you're, you give a decent batting average. Yeah, one from 1988, two from 1990, uh, and then a couple of the ones from the recent tours that yeah. I went to, the River Tour. Mm-hmm. And then um, just released about a week ago is uh, the opening night at the L.A. Coliseum in 1985, the last stand of the Born in the USA tour, mm-hmm. playing to 85,000 people. And that was my very first concert I ever went to. Wow, and I, I've talked about it on the show before, <laughs> and uh, and now I have the, you can relive the, it. the perfect sonic yeah. uh, keepsake of that, and it's now we're even. You even we're told even. me you said you said it's your turn. It's your turn because <laughs> yeah. because Gene's very first concert was Bruce Springsteen in 1980. Yeah, that show was released as part of that Riverbox mm-hmm. uh, a few years back. So that was just congratulations. Really cool. so I'm, I'm still if I'm glowing, you. it's it's because of that. <laughs> I thought you were pregnant. <laughs> oh, by the way, I, I wanted to mention this too. Uh, one of our listeners, Bill Gagnon, a friend of mine that I've known. Since in the distribution days, uh-huh. um, he actually is a, a donor to, to USC, the campus, and mm-hmm. uh, I guess they're in control of the Coliseum mm-hmm. area. Yeah, he they I, they redid a lot of the seating in there, and he was able to get two seats <laughs> from the Coliseum. He has he has them in his garden, and I've seen pictures That's of it. It's hilarious. like I want that. <laughs> Please, no so, standing on the seats. But yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> a little sign there. So that's, that's yeah. very funny. So that's that. Um, so, Gene, what have you, you've, got, you've been doing some stuff lately that's pretty darn exciting. Um, there was a live webcast. Uh, yes, uh, a couple of days ago uh, with Fender. With Fender. Fender Guitar. Um, they were very, very sweet in asking me to come. Uh, they have a, an instructional series, a, a subscription series for uh, on online and, and uh, I guess, web-friendly uh, guitar instruction stuff in various genres and different levels of, you know, beginning, uh, intermediate, and advanced. Um, so they want to do, and then they do a, a half-hour live stream on Facebook, uh, I think once a week, I believe, or maybe once a month. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I don't remember. But they want to do one on country guitar. And, uh, and they said it would help if it could highlight the Telecaster. And I said, well, fortunately, that's... That's yeah. That's kind of hand in glove. So <laughs> we don't have to stretch any truth there, right? So we, um, so I went over, and oddly enough, the host of the show is this guy Matt, and I met him back when we would play Tex all the time. Mm-hmm. He played uh, in, uh, he played in in a jazz group with Soupy, Mike Sessa, our drummer. Oh wow! Uh, so he and I hadn't seen him. I hadn't seen Matt since those days. So it was kind of a nice little reunion, and. Um, so yeah, so we so you know they said if you could bring some of your personal guitars because our viewers kind of like to see that. I said sure, um, but then uh, they said also though our CEO would be delighted if you would play something from his collection. And I said, well, that that probably sounds wise. What do you have in mind? And so it's this '52 Telecaster that they they bring down. And um, now full disclosure. Um, 
when you play guitars of, of a certain vintage, I've learned over the years that you, it could, it could be anything. Meaning, uh, it could, it could just be wonderful and magical, or it could be barely playable. Right. Now, I was going to say the shape because, of it, maybe. Well, you know, and fair enough, because sometimes it's like, well, this is a 52 Telecaster, and I haven't had anything done to it, and so therefore its value, its resale value, if you will, is, is maintained. Mm -hmm. But then if they say, hey, you want to play this live in front of X amount of people, it's like, it's risky. Mm, it's risky. It's risky. So <laughs> fortunately, so they handed it to me before we went live, and uh, and uh, it, it it took a little finesse because the, the frets are worn down quite a bit. But but um, I've come across some really bad ones, and this was a really nice one. Um, so yeah, I got to play a '52 Telecaster, which that That's doesn't cool. happen all the time at least not to me i love the uh the tipperello reference that you, uh, <laughs> you made as well Tune well that's that. the other thing so you're just you're in a small room not uh, you know just kind of a, in a small room with maybe five other people and so um uh, so i guess you're just trying to like i i was just trying to make the people in the room laugh but that's the old radio training probably so but it was fun it was I really lovely home. thank you uh, i hope they have me back um they have some guitars coming out later this year i can't mention but i'm very excited about it. so hopefully i can get to be involved with that but so this video can be found on youtube right yeah you know uh yeah it, it you can go back on facebook it's or archived. youtube it's archived yeah. and so we can we can provide a link on, on our uh, on our site for this episode and then last night uh uh, with Dwight, we we played the Roxy, uh, which I've never played. Great historic LA. And man. so you've played how many times have you played the Roxy, Ted? Maybe two or three times. Maybe okay. I know. I know. Uh, yeah, let's say three. Okay, so this is a good. Uh, so, and uh, in what context did you play the Roxy? Actually, two of the times uh -huh. was with Shooter Jennings. Okay, so Ted, yes. who I've been playing played with off and on since two thousand and three. Yeah. Um, once was let's see maybe two maybe maybe eight or ten years ago we were opening for Alice in Chains when oh, they really? just kind of started up again. Oh, right. uh huh. And they were it was an amazing night and they were unbelievably great. There's actually a, I believe there's a photo from that night of them of their set. <clears throat> oh really? On the wall. Yeah. yeah on the wall. Oh wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a historic time for them to come back yeah. and they were just on fire. In fact, I specifically remember being excited to play the Roxy because I'd been in L.A. for. I don't know, eight or ten years or something. Mm -hmm. I had never played there, and it's like every time you get to play one of those historic venues, yep. it's a really special, sentimental yeah. experience. Good for you. you know? Please, yeah, um, and you think about all the bands that you've loved that have played there mm -hmm. over the years, yeah. and you know, yeah. mythical. The, the just There's the name of the place it. was. Yeah, and so we show up. We kind of load in. We're getting ready, and, and we we we're literally. I remember uh, me and Shooter and some of the other guys in the band were just sitting in in the seats watching Alice in Chains. Sound check, and they just sounded incredible. And I leaned over to Shooter. I was like, "We have to have one of the best shows we've ever had <laughs> to survive." We'll simply look stupid because they sound that good. Um, and then we played there again, maybe a year or two ago. Great. Um, and then there, there's also a cool little upstairs bar. Yep. That I've mm. played. A friend of mine named Robbie Davis had a cool kind of country night that he put on. So ah, I played with oh, him. That's cool. Which was nice. That that's kind of like the way the way the House of Blues has the foundation room. Yeah, um, or like the Rainbow has that groovy little upstairs mm -hmm. hangout. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so that was funny. But the Roxy was great. And how was your show there? Oh no, it was it was. Uh, I think I lost about eighty pounds in water weight. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, which I could I could use that actually. Um, <laughs> it was a it was a fun show. It was a long. Uh, uh, we were just. I think Dwight was enjoying himself. We we. Uh, 
Uh, I don't. Well, by the time anyone hears this, uh, it will have already been uh, broadcasted on uh, on Sirius XM uh, on uh, Sunday, May. I don't know what date that is. I'm May so confused. Find that I don't know somewhere. where I am. But um, <laughs> so, uh, and hopefully, it'll, you know, it'll be archived somehow as well. Um, I would say, as a Springsteen nut, the Roxy has this mm. whole other. Uh, special history to it, and uh, I, I'd only been there. Oh, maybe... so he played there a bunch when he was coming up. Yeah, in '75 70, he did a stand there, and then he did a, a, a show there in uh, July of 1978, which was broadcasted yeah. on a uh, you know KMET. KMET or, out here. So these were often circulated bootlegs because people could tape it. Yeah, home, yeah, and yeah. It yeah. kind of helped build his legend. Yeah. Um, I've been there maybe only. I mean, I've I've lived here for over 20 years or so. I went there once to see a friend of mine. Uh, she had a band, a punk band called Spider Suit, and they played there, and I went. And then otherwise, I, I saw uh, Rufus Rainwright uh, when oh, the Poses oh. record came out. Uh, and uh, and opening the show was a, a young sister duo from Canada uh, named Tegan and Sarah. And uh, it was uh, it was great. to It was just wonderful to play there. I love playing. You know, we don't we don't get to play small clubs often, so um, I really really relish that. That time when we I love the it. size of that room, and it was also you know Dwight had a very significant gig there thirty three years ago. That's right, which was broadcasted mm-hmm. live, and um, so and he you know he hadn't, he hadn't been back since really. Wow, so, that's cool. Like he said at the end of the show, he said at, as we were walking out, and he said, "Well, he told the audience, we'll see you again another thirty three years." Yeah, that show, that original show he played there, wasn't that on the uh, the box set? The, yeah, the yeah reprise, yeah. re released the yeah. guitar Cadillacs, and so. Uh, so we actually did a couple of songs that he did that night in that cool. arrangement. Oh wow! Um, uh, just to kind of help, just kind of commemorate that a little bit. So that was a that was a, that was a lot of fun. It was fun because we yeah we just he you know we uh, he threw some curveballs and and uh, and that's always fun and the and the audience was fantastic. They're great. It's great to be able to see everybody. <laughs> and that's room. also a pretty cool room because this it's for those of you out there who have never been there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a big box, yeah. Um, and the stage is in a corner. In a corner. Yeah, the yeah. stage at is a, a triangular shaped stage yeah, that's right. kind of in the corner. Mm-hmm. So you 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 have this kind of better, uh, not it, it's definitely not in the round, but you can if you feel like you're surrounded by the audience, like yeah, very coming much in so. on, from all angles. Yep. Yep. Right. And then there's this little just a couple steps up with kind of these booths in the back to the mm-hmm. right, and the bar is a couple steps up in the back to the left. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's like this tiered. Mini no, indoor really rock smart. and roll amphitheater. I love that Los Angeles still has those size rooms, and of course, it does mean something that the Roxy's still there and that the Rainbow's still sure. there. Um, I mean, you can look around and see. I mean, I'm sure the real estate groups are just salivating just waiting. to get that property. Oh. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, we don't know; it, it may not be there forever. Uh, but uh, but while it's still there, it really does. You know, I'm, I'm glad it's still there. I'm, I'm glad they're still doing shows. Um, experience so, it if you can. Experience it if you can. It's funny. By the way, you're gonna walk in and think, "They were talking about this." I mean, it's like it's not a, it's not a fancy. It's just a it's just a great club to see a, a band. If you yeah. really want to feel like I saw an artist and I really really felt like I got a good sense of of who this person or these people are or were as they perform music. That's a really good place. Yeah, there's uh, like not every, a bad spot just about every place. show I've seen there has been very personal. And up close, and you really feel like you're connecting with the artist. Two occasions I can uh, be reminded of instantly is uh, back in the late 90s, uh, saw Brian Adams 
Mm-hmm. Oh, well, right uh, my girlfriend at the time won tickets and like, okay, well we that would have been awesome because yeah. she was huge. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of hits. And she, my know? girlfriend was a super fan, and so like we got there super early and we were right up front, right in front of his music stand and his mic and everything. Mm-hmm. And it, that was around the time where he was doing some acoustic stuff in his set, uh, like an extended acoustic set, and that was really enjoyable. He came out and uh, I think the first song, he was rocking that guitar so hard, strumming so hard on it. His music stands in front of him. And because I think he had a new song called Hey Elvis at the time, and I think that's where his lyrics were for that. But anyway, he's up there and he's just going at it, going at it, and his foot stomping, and he hits the base of that uh, that music stand, and his paper just falls off yeah. onto the stage, like right in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of you took it and ran. Grabbed that. No, I, should, I went to the door. <laughs> Slipped Stop it back. My job is done here. <laughs> right. <laughs> Get a shoulder roll out of there. <laughs> Two minutes later, it's on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> no. So I grabbed it, slipped it back up there, and he just gave me, like, right at me and gave me a nod and, like, a little thank you. I was like, wow, I'm in this show. I'm <laughs> part of this. This is awesome. That's cool. And then just, uh, uh, what, about five, six years ago, there was the Sunset Strip Music Festival, and um, X was doing a performance right at the Roxy oh, of cool. the first album. And Ray Manzarek produced the first first handful of records yeah. by them. Ray Manzarek guested on keyboards on several songs, and this is just before he passed away. And uh, they finished, I guess he finished the last song he was going to play on. And he was on the far, if you're in the audience looking at the stage, he was on the far right where his keyboard was. Mm -hmm. As soon as he finished, he took a bow, ran all the way to the left side of the stage where I was, and he high-fived me. (laughs) (laughs) And I have this, I had my phone out because I was shooting a little video. high-fived Ray Manzarek. Right, well, I have a photo right then when he was high-fived. It's so blurry, but you can tell it's it's an abstract, almost painting of Ray. It's like Ray Manzarek assaulting you. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a big it's smile. Like, I haven't face. seen it in a while. It's been submitted smiling, to evidence. But happily no. assaulting you. That's awesome. No, but anyway, so I mean, like those kinds of things don't happen at fair shows or sure. you know these large shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sort of experience you get in a small venue. Granted, it's super hot sometimes in there, and yeah, it can but be, that kind of makes it bad. Look, I yeah. I took the top off of the Jeep <laughs> yesterday, knowing that the drive home was going to be going to be worth it. Worth it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Felt great. So one other thing. Uh, I'll just do a, an incredibly brief recap. Record Store Day 2019 just happened. I have a terrible... You're going to kill me. Well, if it's terrible, I want you to go ahead and you know, lead the way. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> on Record Store Day, I was... Uh, we took a little family trip. I was in San Francisco. I drove right by Amoeba. And didn't go in? Just kept going. Good. It, oh, right? That's healthy, right? It's it's a step in the right direction, <laughs> okay, I think. So, well, I'll, I was, I'll make that step. No, it's solidarity was, with the L.A. amoeba. You didn't want to. Oh, you didn't want to give your oh, your, oh, your business that. to the stinking San Francisco. Exactly. <laughs> Not the one on hate. <laughs> the, Ashbury. Yeah. <laughs> Come Converted on. Movie theater. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> although, so th- that was, and I just, but you know, uh, you know, I was gonna drag my wife and daughter to the record store day. Yeah. But I was so excited to see that it was it. Obviously, they didn't need me. <laughs> they no, they fine. did just fine. <laughs> they were fine. I remember first finding out that was like, as a record store, that was like the first maybe famous record store I'd ever come across. I had, I was uh, on a road trip uh, with a girlfriend. I was maybe eighteen or nineteen years old, and um, we we're just going to go up to San Francisco. And we had stopped in, let's see, this must have been in um, San Luis Obispo. Boo Boo Records. Oh yeah, oh great on store. Monterey. I'm hoping it's still there. It, I don't it, know. Is still As of a year or two ago. Yeah. It was. Oh thank God. I've done a few in stores there. Okay, and cool. it's kind of the. It's Good. right in the middle of San Luis Obispo, so it's right. 
So odds are, if you're gigging in San Luis Obispo, it's diagonally across the street From or the around the corner. <laughs> okay, so I, I went in there and I buy a bunch of stuff, and then um, the and the and uh, the guy said, you know, where you live. I just kind of told my story a little bit. I said, oh, we're on the way to San Francisco. And he goes, oh, are you going to go to Amoeba? And I said, what's Amoeba? And then three faces behind the counter all just kind of looked at me, and, and their eyes got big. And, and bless her, they weren't they weren't snobby about it at all. They go, you don't know about Amoeba? I go, uh, is this biology? What are we talking about? Goes, no, no, no. you got to go to Amoeba Records. I said, oh, so this was years ago. When you, I was 18 when you... or so. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. you know, so, um, so, yeah, so I did get to, uh, like, so, of course, I went there, and I bought I think I think they can't I think they just I think they charged me by the pound <laughs> if I remember because <laughs> it was just yeah, so only. much stuff and um and actually for years I was loyal <laughs> to boo-boo though because um living in Yuma at the time you really couldn't get new release it was just a pain so I would order you order them from them from them and just have them ship the vinyl to my house oh that's really uh, cool in Yuma uh, and I, yeah I was kind of and, and they were always really good about they'd send post like and I would I'd write them like a you know, letter or call and say, if you, if you're going to take down any display posters of anything, you know, I'll, I'll take them off your hands. I'll pay for shipping, whatever. And they were, they're really sweet about that's it. That's really cool. Yes. In terms of connecting with a record store, yeah, that's yeah. A, a big memory. So did, so did you go? I did. And, and I always start my day off at fingerprints in Long Beach. Yeah. So we're that's, talking that's, about, yeah, that's yeah, exactly. I've got a long standing connection with that store and Rand that's uh, been running it for decades now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're now in a larger location, but still in kind of the heart of Long Beach, and yeah. it's just it's wonderful. They have in-stores all the time, and, and, and he just does a bang-up job. Yes, so that's does. always my first stop. Okay. I live out in Riverside now, so I drive all the way out to, <clears throat> to Long Beach. First of all, my buddy Craig, uh, who I work with, lives out in Palm Desert. He huh. works from home as well. He drives to my place from Palm Desert out to Riverside, and then we drive from Riverside out to Long Beach <laughs> at like, I, I think we left my house at like 3 in the morning. Or Are something. you kidding no, because they open at six in the morning. At oh, wow. you really wanted to get there yeah. when they open? And the line, and we got there at like I don't know five or so. And the well, line's already healthier than I thought, Ted. We're not going <laughs> by comparison. <What>? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. Continue. Oh, the line's just around the corner. Is it really? That's right. already this is crazy, right? That's great. But uh, we get in line, and there's all these like-minded nuts out there that like have to get these limited edition items, mm-hmm. and uh, we feel we have to have these things. And uh, being that far back in line, I still managed to get inside and find like 90% of what I was looking for. Good for you. And it was a lot of fun. There's a lot of interesting titles out this year. Um, right, because you they, they they post what the, the special things are going to yeah, be, and then so you kind of have to make a game plan, I there's see. There's like between four and 500 exclusive titles that come out on that one day, and the yeah. whole idea is like main like uh, chains do not get access to this stuff. This is right. all for like smaller independent record stores mom and pops that sort of thing to give them a really big boost to draw people in so you have an exclusive title you can't get anywhere else they're going to come to the mom and pop and throw their cash like one of the cool ones i I knew about uh had i gone the one i probably would have looked for was a star is born soundtrack oh my god no it's no star picture disc um (laughs) mark maron who has his podcast oh he's great uh he put out a piece of uh some vi- uh, vinyl of of a couple of the because a lot when he has a musician on more often than not they'll they'll play a tune right so Lucinda did um, I think she did Jackson yeah on and I know uh, Jason Isbell did uh, Elephant and Nick Lowe's on there Nick Lowe does did Beast in Me yeah um, there's a lot and so um, so they they put out. Uh, 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 highlights from the highlights from the performances of that, and that would have been the one because that 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 podcast has meant a lot to me, and especially 
being here in the neighborhood and yeah. a lot of the musicians that he's had on. The Beast in Me thing's great because in that episode, you know, he has Nick Lowe, which by the way, it was just knowing that Nick Lowe was within walking distance of my house was just right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're like, oh my God, he's here somewhere. Still has you giddy. So yeah. And um <laughs> and Marin had, you know, loves that that song Beast in Me. And I think he'd heard of it on the Soprano soundtrack, that first and he just had all this stuff built up in his head over what Nick Lowe was admitting to in this song. So to just this really dark to to be willing to just really expose this ugly thing about yourself in mm-hmm. the song. And um and Marin brings that up in the interview and Nick I don't remember but Nick Lowe goes, No, I just made it up. It's a song. It's just a song. Like it's, it doesn't have anything to do with it. you know and Marin just like Really? And he still talks about it to songwriters when they're on. Like, hey, you know, Nick Lowe was in here. And he, it's still, he's trying to dismantle this And then Nick, though, uh, just to kind of prove the point, though, then performs it beautifully. It's so convincing. Uh, and uh, and so to, uh, to me, to have that on, on record, it would be really, especially if you understand the context of how that, how the interview went, yeah, yeah. And then, then to perform the song so convincingly, uh, w- w- that'd be a great memento. I did pick that one up. Okay, oh, so I'll have nice. to I'll have to get you some digital tracks on oh. that or something. I'll have to do a needle drop. Uh, it doesn't I don't believe it has any of the interviews on. It's just the performances, no, it's just which the performances. I think I've always great. loved those. Uh, you know that radio stations have You've when they have guests been come a fan in. Of that. I, I've always loved yeah. that stuff because you get those. Unique Maybe we can have one of that on this episode. I would love that. An idea. idea to come All right. to fruition. Um, yeah, so some of the uh, the record store day items uh, I picked up that I was really interested in is the new Costello EP with the Imposters called Purse. It's four songs, mm-hmm. and they're all co-writes on various levels, because one is with Johnny Cash, but I think that was taking lyrics from uh, an unreleased book of lyrics by Johnny oh, Cash. Oh, right, good. Uh, okay. There's a, a Dylan co-write. There's a, a, a new Burt Bacharach Elvis Costello composition. And then there's a new re-record of uh, The Lovers That Never Were, which is a co-write with Paul McCartney from those from sessions the, in the 80s. Dirt stuff, yeah. the, uh, I picked up Fate of Nations by Robert Plant, which has never been issued here on vinyl. What is that? That was like a mid-90s uh, Plant solo record. Okay. Uh, 29 Palms was the big single off of that. If okay. you remember, it was on FM radio mm-hmm. back in the day. Uh, the Crow soundtrack. Mm. which was just a really dark and beautiful, uh, just like The Cure, Nine Inch Nails, uh-huh. Violent Femmes, uh, Rollins is on there. Um, never been on vinyl here in the States, and so that came out, and that was one of the probably one of the hottest items. But um, you, you, Overall, like for... Overall. Oh, interesting. I'm okay. seeing all kinds of feedback online, and, and yeah. that was the one that people are like, I should have grabbed it when I saw it, oh. sort of thing. And these are all like limited numbers. Only a couple thousand, maybe, of each of these mm-hmm. titles gets released in the States, and they have to divvy it up across all these record stores everywhere. So yeah. they become instant collectibles. But there's one a fun one here, uh, if you're an R.E.M. fan at all. They did a secret show in 91, uh, I think at the Borderline, which I believe is in the U.K. London. Yeah, they did a, an acoustic show under the name... Yeah, well, this sounds vaguely familiar to yeah. me. What were they called? Bingo Handjob. There you go. Yeah. That's awesome. Right. <laughs> and so that show was now going to be released exclusively on Record Store Day, officially. Mm-hmm. And I had a bootleg of this for the longest time, and I always loved it. It was a very, very listenable audience recording. Mm. And uh, I thought, oh, great. They got, they got the source tape. They're going to put it out. They put it out, and two things went wrong with this already. Uh, I was reading. I was the reading that. And the hand it's, job. It's both went wrong. Right? <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> It's a two LP set, and I guess there was a bunch of people that got the same LP slipped in. Oh, they got the same thing twice? Right, right. 
And so, you know, quality control is jumping all over that to try oh, to, like, geez. you know, rectify the situation. But the second thing was the people that got the actual correct set, they put it on. They used that same audience recording that had been circling around in the collector's corner for Oh, so it's not like board they, tapes or anything. There is no, there is the no board recording. tape. There's just that. And they thought, well, let's just put it. It's kind of like what uh, Zappa did. He took a bunch of bootlegs and just said, I'm going to put them out on my <laughs> label. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I was, it, the funny thing, so I grabbed that and uh, I was in line at Fingerprints and I'm about three or four people away from checking out. This guy comes up to me and says, I'll give you $20 for that. He saw it in my stack. I said, uh, no, I, I, I wanted this one. It looks like it's a pretty popular one. Forty, and this is just to buy it from me before I even before own it. Before he can buy it, so he can buy it and wow. spend thirty, forty bucks on it. And I just said, "No, that tells me I think I really need to keep this." You know? <laughs> there's, there's something about this. I checked mine when I got home, and it has the right LPs in it. But then we, I went to about four or five other shops, and we went to another shop here, and they're all pretty busy. And sometimes there's putbacks at the counter, like you know, somebody says, "Oh, that's I can't really. I'm going to put this one back." And so the person behind the counter will walk the floor and hold up and call the name out of what they've got, you know, in case some, somebody wants it. So not knowing this was happening right behind me, this girl comes up and I just hear this voice saying, bingo hand job, anyone? Oh, and I, good. I could not stop laughing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway. B-I-N-G. Yeah. Oh. This is a family show. Yes. No. <laughs> oh, my God. But uh, yeah, so uh, that's a bit, always a big holiday for me, Record Store It's a big deal for Dave. And it's I like to talk about it. Well, I'm glad. It was awesome. Uh, so, uh, so obviously, uh, we'd be remiss to uh, not uh, do a deep dive on on our guest here. Yes. Uh, background um, as it relates to again, I don't remember the exact year, but it was a little less than twenty years. When very little met? less than twenty years that we met. It was probably two thousand two or two thousand one. Sounds maybe. about right. Yeah. Yes, because uh, I had my solo thing kind of kind of going. And um, you actually were in a group, uh, kind of a duo called Ponticello uh-huh. at the time. Uh, and so uh, someone suggested me for your, I don't know, it was, it was somebody somebody said, hey, you guys should meet. And uh, fortunately, at the time, the uh, my friend Brent Harding, who was playing bass in my band, but he was he lives in Ventura, so he was doing these long drives to come down and do these little club gigs uh, at the grace of his heart. Um, But he really couldn't sustain that uh, anymore. And uh, right at that time I met you and you said, you know, if you ever need a bass player, I can help out. And, uh, and then, so you were kind of, you did for years, actually. We, we, uh, we, we went to England together. Uh, We did the East coast. I don't remember any of this. I, of course I do. (laughs) We did the IPO festival. The IPO festival. Yeah. We played the cavern club in Liverpool. Yeah, we did. Yeah, that's right. Oh yeah. I didn't know this. (laughs) Yeah. 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 In fact, um, is it like the Roxy? It's in a, in, a, in a way, in a, in a way, where you're like, "Wow, this is what everyone's talking." It's, it's, it's particularly groovy from an American perspective, very, because it was really like the basement bomb shelter. Mm-hmm. So you walk in, it's like, "Wow, this is like some weird, uh, like medieval European yeah, architecture yeah, yeah. going on here." <laughs> Stone walls, and and then of course it's of unforgiving. Well, we were just we were a loud band, so it's it's unforgiving. That's just, walls, but that was also a very sweaty, sweaty show. I think I remember that evening too because that was, if I'm not mistaken, that was the evening that because because uh, he passed away in Peru, but that the very 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 highly regarded uh, London DJ John Peel passed oh, away. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And so we learned about that. We were in Liverpool. And then the next show was in Sheffield, 
and um, there was already uh, graffiti all over Sheffield. Yeah. Uh, uh, John, like uh, his silhouette, or just or people would just put up the phrase "Teenage Kicks" because that was his favorite oh, record yeah. of all time, which is going to be in our playlist now because yeah. I said well, it. I love the under. Oh my god! So okay, so you know, so there we always, so Ted, we do a, a Spotify <laughs> playlist for mm-hmm. every episode. Oh yeah. And Dave puts it together, and pretty much any song we reference <laughs> has to go in it. Goes in it. At this oh, point, the great. playlist is probably sixty-three songs. At this point, already, already, probably. So you, well, you got to include all the little things you just mentioned from Record Store Day. Every little exactly. detail. Exactly. It's so unfortunate. But it's and, and, Brian to Adams. To and Brian Adams. And Brian Adams. <laughs> so, um, and who's the friend of yours that you saw the spider people from the, the Roxy? Spider suit. Oh, oh my God. spider that, suit. They're on Spotify. Oh. They're in. Rayman Zerk. The whole lot. They're all in. The so, um, no, but you can't shooter. play a Doors song. You have to play Rayman Zerk solo yeah, song. It's not a problem. <laughs> He's on there. Oh, wait, but I mentioned the Doors now. So we oh. got to do both. Oh, see, you yeah. see that? <laughs> see, it just means. So it's, it's a sticky little web we just got right. into. can't get out of it. So, um, so yeah, and I remember you, so Ted, you always had the funniest phrases. And I don't even know if you meant to. I remember being in Sheffield, because Brian Whelan, who was, who was also in the band at that time, yeah, yeah, was yeah. with us, um, he, he laughed so hard. We were, so this is 2004, and no iPhones, right? So you're yeah. just trying to walk, you're trying to get your directions on a city, and there's these maps, and things are, twi- no things on a grid, in Sheffield, there was a kind of a turnabout, and, and we're trying to find—I don't know what we're trying to find—but and Ted, Ted, is always the one with the most patience. Okay, um, <laughs> so yeah, which is one of the many benefits to have him in your group. And so Ted's, Ted's about, okay. Hold on, we just got to like just stop walking. We just got to look at this. And he looks at the map. He goes, okay, this way. And, he's, and then he just stops reading. Because why does this town have to be such a drag? <laughs> 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 and, and I believe it, for years, no matter where we were, um, uh, for years with, with Brian, we, we, with like Brian would just say that something. Like, Why does town have to be such a drag? <laughs> That's funny. oh, here's another one. Oh my god, this one, this one still lives in this phrase still lives in my household. Okay? Oh wow, okay, good. And, and here's the thing, I I'd be willing to put money on it that you don't remember saying this. And and, and by the way, Ted Russell Camp also. Very good, healthy sense of humor about himself, and you know, I that's probably the most that's probably the most attractive trait I can think about uh, that I, I could I could I could find in someone. Uh, people that can laugh at themselves, right? Yeah, because I'm necessary. not good at that. So it's something I admire in yeah. people. So we flew to North Carolina to to do this pop festival, and uh, and we flew day of show. So we flew from LAX into Raleigh, Durham, and then we had a short van ride to the venue and god this is back when things communication was still just so kind of primitive even we had email i was sent the lineup of the festival like maybe seven bands six or seven bands and i looked at from top to bottom and it looked like we were kind of late in the schedule you know maybe the seems like you know so I thought, okay, well, this will work. By the time we land and we get the stuff in the van and we get there, and we still have a buffer of a few bands before we hit. And then it turns out that so we, and then it turns out uh, someone communicated to us, well, no, no, that you should have read that from bottom to top in terms of order of like, oh, uh, damn it. So we're getting there. I didn't, I didn't write out a set list or anything. So we just kind of just hauled ass into this venue, and 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 uh, I think it was a back line anyway. So we just kind of set up, and I was just. Calling out songs. Someone said I look like Troy Aikman calling out plays. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, so we got through the set. It was great. Lots of fun. 
we stayed and watched uh, the the rest of the festival, and then we uh, and then we had to drive uh, a bit to to the hotel afterwards. <clears throat> and it it had been a loud show. It was you know it's a long festival we've been having, and we'd been on an airplane all day, and then we heard tons of bands. And we get in the van, we're about to drive, and uh, someone we you know turn on the, the the stereo in the van, and Ted's sitting behind me, <laughs> and he says, "Hey, you want to know something about me?" <laughs> I like to just chill and uh, and not like I just like silence after thing. And we're like, oh yeah, that does sound nice. But the phrase that lives in my house is, "Hey, you want to know something about me?" <laughs> and frankly, I think all podcasts can be called, "Hey, you want to you know so? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't even if I have if That's I'm asking funny. someone to pass the salt, it, it, it will be, "You want to know something about me?" I like I salt on like my chicken. <laughs> I got, I've got I a, just, it's yeah, such a beautiful funny. thing to say because it's really the most honest thing to propose. It's like I can know because I've been in I've been in bands. You know, we've all we've all been in touring bands, and it's yeah. like it's a constant argument or debate. There's that too, or a weighing of what whose desires are more important because someone wants one kind of music and someone wants another kind of music mm-hmm. and someone wants silence mm-hmm. and someone wants it to be five times louder than the other guy <laughs> and you're trying to compromise right. and Even make everyone happy. Even if they agree the station, they won't agree on the volume. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like, you know, without, you know, you guys are not wrong for wanting loud music on the drive from the gig to the hotel after three hours of loud music in the club. <laughs> but let me just say something about me. So no one's no one feels wrong. <laughs> But this is just my personal <laughs> approach right now. Well, I'm gonna tell you, uh, yeah. So that I just uh, so there's there's many Tedisms out there because because fortunately we we spent a lot of time together. Yeah, and, yeah. and I, I do miss seeing you, uh, but I'm very very happy for you because you again you've how many albums? Okay, so play with Shooter off and on. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's not just Shooter, and I don't even know if, if we've got a printed out resume on this guy because it it spans a lot. You produce for a lot of people. You write with a lot of people. Yeah. You make your own as a solo artist. And you were early on, by the way, you were a guy I thought took a lot of guts. You created something for yourself, particularly in Europe, mm-hmm. early on. There was no guarantee. There was, I mean, it's you, you, you did it all yourself. I mean, I'm sure you had help, but I'm just saying... I saw you. Do, I remember at the time you doing that. You was like, "I'm just going over there with my bass and a mandolin. And I'm booking gigs, and I'm taking a, a, su- a suitcase of, of CDs, and I'm just going to make this thing happen." Yeah. So, so I mean, I don't even know where to start, honestly. So, <laughs> um, tell me. So, you're originally from New York. Originally from New York. Grew up in the suburbs of New York City, Westchester. Westchester. Yeah. Uh, I went to college in upstate New York in Binghamton. Then moved to Seattle for maybe six years, five years, and then moved to L.A. And I had only I had only been in L.A. for a year or two when we met. We met, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the band that I had moved to L.A. with was was kind of breaking up, and we were kind of drifting apart, and mm-hmm. um, you know the pressures of relocating sure. with bigger dreams of coming to L.A. Sure, um, uh, was kind of the we you know our, our relationships were kind of just not as positive as they had once been. I I'll see. just say that, uh, and so. Uh, uh, and so, yeah, I started working, l- looking for other people to play with, and you were one of the first people that um, I started to gig with. Yeah. And I loved your music and your attitude, and uh, Mike Sessa, Soupy, yeah. was, was the drummer. Brian later joined the band. Yeah. And it's like, you, you playing with you was a really ins- inspirational and beautiful oh. kind of new beginning for me. Thank you. Um, 
I think if yeah. I'm not, I'm just just to deflect from it being about me. Um, but we it was where I think it was a lot about where we were playing specifically. There's a place yeah. in in Culver City that's uh-huh. still there, the Cinema. Uh huh. And we played there a lot. And I I had preferred um, playing these little places that where there was no cover charge. The drinks were cheap. Um, look, it wasn't always a, a great music venue. I mean, there wouldn't be a stage necessarily. We'd mm. just be in the corner. The PA would be humble. But I. You know, we could play as long as we wanted. We could play whatever we wanted, um, and people that were following us—they um, weren't the type of folks who wanted to to pay a lot for parking and pay a high cover charge and pay expensive drink prices. They just wanted to hear tunes, and so we favored those sorts of places. We favored, and of course, in Echo Park, uh, this, there's this old French restaurant spelled T A I X, oh, yeah. pronounced yeah. Tex. Um, we would play there on for the east side, and then we mm-hmm. played in Culver City. So, and I think that um, what it was, and I think the same held true for Brian Whelan, was that just from us being in that room, and uh, we we met so many other musicians and so many other people yeah. that that kind of connected us to, in some cases, some national level gigs, or it just it became a network to, to yeah. put it like of of really because yeah, it it's where it's where musicians wanted to hang out is the thing yeah you know? and, and it's also i i guess maybe maybe not when i was younger but once i hit about 30 years old yeah i i've i've always been much more inspired to play original music mm-hmm. than being cover bands mm-hmm. and especially when you're in that local kind of bar scene yep. playing in cover bands is a way to make a lot more money oh, oh yes sure. oh and, yeah and, and a lot of the a lot of the buddies i'm sure that we've all had through like yeah you know some end up in cover bands and yeah. they're like playing super great weddings and they're flying to somewhere and oh yeah, yeah, being, yeah. whatever uh-huh. the cover band world has gotten so big and mm-hmm. it, it wasn't as big then no that's a good point. but but there were more than uh, like i remember the the first time i don't know if we played there but you know the lighthouse in hermosa beach Great bar, kind of on the pier, we did. Hermosa yeah. Beach. We did. We did play. I think we did. Well, yeah, yeah, I do remember. And it's like I remember Soupy was really late. I was super excited <laughs> about playing there because, yeah. like, I love Jerry Mulligan and Chet Baker yeah, yeah. and yes. that LA yeah. West Coast jazz scene, and that yeah, was a historic. I, I associated place. It with that too. And yeah. there's like live at the lighthouse, and uh-huh. da, 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 that's right. one of the, you know, that's like Birdland. <laughs> that's right. Or the yeah. Village Vanguard yeah, of yeah. the West Coast. So I was super excited, and you get down there, and like we're there, of course, on like a Wednesday at mm-hmm. ten, and there's like original bands, like four original bands, and they all sound completely different yes and then of course on friday is a no doubt cover band mm-hmm. or on saturday is a blondie cover band yeah like it that. easily draws the people and in. it's like yeah it gets the people and i and i totally get it i'm i get not, it yeah. i don't want to be an elitist yeah but but yeah playing with you was a wonderful like welcoming into this kind of network of different bands that appreciated other bands and that were writing their own music and yeah. una- like unabashedly saying we're going to throw a couple cool covers in because this is what we love Mm-hmm. And then you'll do like, but you would always do like a song by Squeeze, yeah, or or always. Nick Lowe. You're talking yeah. before. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's not. I clearly was running away from commercial success. <laughs> <in> my choices. <laughs> <laughs> that was. I was joking with somebody uh, just recently because they they. Uh, oh, I think it was at Fender because they. So so you have, you know, you have your own music and everything. Like, well, not anymore. I mean, I did for I, you know, I, I took a, a stab at it, and and they're like, oh, well, it was a shame that didn't work out. I was like, yeah, you. Know, I guess it didn't, but 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 I look at it this way: the style of music that we were doing, that I was doing, was it's not as though somebody else at the time went on to massive worldwide success playing that style of music. Right. So I'm a, 
that kind of makes it okay. It's oh. not like I'm not. Even, I'm not even. It's not like I'm jealous of some other act because they they hit big with this. Like. There was not a market for that type of at that time. It just, no, but you got to you got to do what you want to do. Well, that's, and that's follow the, the muse. So, and this is where you know? this is where tie in to 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 your records, the Ted Russell Camp, or we call the TRK albums, is because here was my my philosophy was when I made the first record, my favorite Revolution, I thought if everything goes as well as possible, this is the last time I get to make a record without anyone. Controlling it. Well, yeah. just making suggestions or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or pulling Outside me this way or that way. You know, like if everything goes well, I'll get management. There'll be a label and I'll have other yeah, voices. Totally. So so there's an autonomy about that that you're hoping in some weird way that you'll be forced to lose a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm sure first time film directors probably, you know, it's kind of like, well, I made my, my first amateur movies and those were, it was, those was the most liberating thing ever. And after that, you want it, you want it. Welcome to the marketplace. Welcome to the marketplace. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so uh, going back to so you were writing, I mean, how? Because I just think you're yeah. When very I was very prolific as a writer, were you always that prolific, or um, how did you grow into that? I was always I always loved music. I always had a good feel for making up songs. Mm. I wasn't as lyrically oriented. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would always kind of make up. Like I remember when I was in college. And I was in bands writing a lot of songs for the bands I was playing in. I, I, I specifically remember th- this thought going through my head of lyrics are just something to get them to like to tell everyone what the melody really yeah, is. Yeah. The lyrics yeah. are kind of secondary. Interesting, yeah. Um, like and an it was, Oasis song. Yeah, all right. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, <laughs> no, I mean, in, in a way, you know, in, right, in a way, like, the melody was I, more the melody and the chord progression and the vibe and mood of the music mm-hmm. meant more to me than the specific storytelling approach. Okay. So from that point of view, I would love newer Sp- Bruce Springsteen compared to the old stuff. I'm joking. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, just funny. from what really you were funny. talking about <laughs> really a long time, well, earlier on, um, <laughs> and it wasn't until a little later that I that the lyrics started to real uh, really mean more to me. What I wanted think, them to be. What do you think that is? Why? Um, well, when I was up in Seattle, I was, when I'd finished college, well, let's say I got way into jazz mm-hmm. during the end, the last year or two of college. Okay. And so my goal when I went to Seattle was to play jazz for a living. Ah. So I bought an acoustic bass and I started playing in jazz combos in big bands and, mm-hmm. uh, like Bossa Nova, like yeah. back, like, you know, in retrospect, it was a lot of background music in restaurants and private parties and take a train at somebody's mm-hmm. wedding and stuff like that. But I had, but that music was n- really new to me and really exciting. And a lot of those chords, and oh, the, sure. the music theory, the subtleties behind jazz and the way it swings uh, was really sophisticated. Yeah. And I was learning a ton. And in a way, that was my grad school without actually being at a, oh, in a grad school. Okay. Um, and, and that was really in- intriguing and inspiring for me for like maybe three, four years. And so my first record that I made was a jazz album. And it was right. like really inspired by Bill Evans and Miles Davis mm-hmm. and Jerry Mulligan and Paul Desmond. Yeah. Um, Paul Desmond was the, the alto sax player who played with Dave Brubeck, Brubeck yeah. who wrote Take Five and yeah. some of the other songs. Um, and he just had this wonderful lyrical stream of consciousness and very melodic way of mm-hmm. improvising and playing. Um, uh, he used to say he wanted a saxophone to sound like a dry martini. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> anyway, That's so good. And there was anyway. There's something about those sounds that was really inspiring. But then, and and then after a while, I realized that jazz. I was I was I, I, I have a photographic recollection of where I was, and but we were playing Take the A Train, and then I realized this is the Sweet Home Alabama of jazz. Ah. Mm. 
and I and then I kind of over the next no couple one can months, decide what key it's in. Uh, <laughs> 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 it's like, dear G, what I don't, is this? Yeah, no, but it's the it's the generic song that everyone's like, oh, just play that; it'll feel good, and people will dance and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, oh my god, yeah. And then I kind of realized, okay, no matter, I'm I'm not, I don't, I don't live and breathe jazz deeply and intrinsically. I grew up with rock music and pop music and kind of being a fan of Jackson Brown. And, uh-huh. uh, uh, so I kind of started getting out of jazz. I realized, okay, I'm never going to play in Marsalis' band or or those world-class okay, people. I will forever be a, a, probably a fairly cool, fairly satisfied local jazz musician. Yeah. Uh, and then I, and, and I was like, but this isn't really my language. I grew up getting into other music. Uh-huh. And so I started easing back into the songwriting. A, a pivotal record for getting out of jazz was, I realized one of my favorite records at the time was The Heart of Saturday Night by Tom Waits. Oh, my God. And, and, which is really a jazz record, but then I really well, realized, yeah, okay, yeah, wait, this is, a, this is really a singer-songwriter album sure. disguised as a jazz record. Yeah. Right, because, yeah. Because the jazz players and... Uh, yeah. um, San Diego Serenade. That's an unbelievable album. Just rips my heart out. But I, but and I really, Shiver Me Timbers? Shiver Me Timbers, yeah. And the, and the title track is just... Um, oh, God, what an album. Yeah. That thing. Anyway, and, I re- and, I, and that was kind of a pivotal thing in getting me back into the way singer-songwriter music feels and thinks, and it's a lyrical focus. It's so funny. God, Ted, I, I've been listening to your music for so long, and, and we've never talked about that Waits album, and now I hear it. Oh, you hear it oh, subtly wow. in a lot of my stuff. I, it's to me. It's like I don't know how on earth I missed that. Oh wow, yeah. It's I hear it in Highway Whisper, which we played on our last episode. Which, right by on. the way, I keep getting texts from friends and there's I, and somebody at the Fender thing walked up and said thank you for playing that track. It oh, that's cool. Thank on you. you. Um, so that's just astonishing. Isn't it funny? I, I that's it's just it seems so obvious to me now. That's really cool your approach. Yeah. The, oh God, that's so. Oh my God! Yeah, that song "Highway Whisper" is the the first one that really just nailed that album to my forehead. <laughs> well, that's that's uh, well, we're we're talking about this one song, uh, my my yeah, new record that forward. came out last just last month or two called "Walking Shoes." Yeah. Um, a lot of the songs are about traveling and being a touring musician and being homesick sometimes, mm-hmm. and the celebrational element of being on the road performing for people. Um, and how it might not be the smartest career decision, but we love it, yeah. and we keep doing it. Yeah. Uh, there's a song called "Home Away from Home," which is every time, uh, which which started at that. I wrote that song in Holland with oh. friends of mine, Dutch guys. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh huh. And we got we were gonna hang out for the afternoon before we were gonna do a gig together, and I was like, man, we gotta write a song called "Home Away from Home" because because I've now been in Holland so often. Let's say. Once a year for the last ten years, and I've known those guys for maybe five years. And, and may I ask? And, and you probably Perfect. have somewhat of a routine when yes. you go to Holland. Yeah, when you, I they're when, often enough to have a favorite restaurant or yeah. There's a certain group of you know that of people you know. You're certain group see. of musicians I'll see pretty much every time. If we can put a show together, we do. If we can't, we at least try to have coffee mm-hmm. or dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, when I go to Europe, let's say at least half of the gigs I've either done the gig before or worked with that promoter before at a different place in town. Right. And so it's like catching up with old friends every time I go over to Europe now. And we have that a lot in different places in the United States as well. Yeah. So I was like, I want to write a song about this. So it's got this kind of Folsom Prison Blues, I've Been There Man kind of joy, yeah, yeah. raucous quality. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the songs have that this kind of optimistic, it's a good driving record. Mm. Um, uh, but it's pretty dangerous to do 
an album about the road because there have been so many good songs sure. and albums mm -hmm. done about that. I, we were talking about Jackson Brown earlier, but uh, um, Running on Empty was one of was one another one of those pivotal records that was, and I, I saw them live at Radio City Music Hall in oh. like in 1988 or 89 when I was in high school. Uh -huh. And I was like, that changed my life. And I was like, I want to do this, you know? Mm -hmm. And the way Jackson Brown could tell a story and have it feel like a journal entry and have these kind of oh, long yeah, extended yeah. sentences <laughs> yes. with internal rhymes. It's like, mm -hmm. well, that whole, that whole chorus is kind of like one sentence. Yeah. How do you do that? Because yeah. <laughs> not a lot of writers can. You oh, know? no. Um, the, he and Paul Simon make it look deceptively simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, um, there's a, a few things sometimes with, I'll, I've noticed that with Jackson's stuff where I realize how did he how did he do that that long sentence thing yeah and he he kept the topic he was focused the whole time but he never repeated a word like yeah. like how did he how did he have I don't know it's just it's just really a marvelous marvelous thing when a writer when you don't you don't notice the writing until much later yeah, and you, the inter there's the, the the poetry. It's mm -hmm. it's it's incredible. Um, anyway, so uh, Highway Whisper, the song was the last song that I really finished for the record. Oh, really? And and it there are thirteen songs on the album, uh, which proves I'm not that superstitious. <laughs> um, <laughs> Good for you. And Highway Whisper is the exact halfway point. It's the seventh tune, and it kind of in. For me, it gives the album weight and extra substance. It's a really poetic, uh, it's a poetic, it's a more poetic moment than you find in most of the other songs on the record. And I wanted it to be this kind of centerpiece um, about the dream of what the road is and the dream of, mm -hmm. um, there's a story I always, I, not always, but I often tell before I do that song live. Mm -hmm. And it's that when I first finished college, uh, my wife and I, we were just boyfriend-girlfriend at the time, moved to Seattle, and we got a great cheap apartment for like $400 a month. Those were the days. About two blocks away from I-5, which was a okay. ma the major interstate that yeah. cuts through Seattle going mm -hmm. north-south. And we were up on a hill, so you couldn't see the highway. And when you open... when. Every once in a while, you know, and I was I was like struggling musician doing these funky little gigs for fifty dollars a night and seventy five dollars mm -hmm. a night, coming back at two and three in the morning, and yeah. she's she's already asleep. So I would get home and I would open up our kitchen window, and you'd hear this, yes. you'd hear this hush, and if and it would kind of sound like a highway, but you could kind of think about it, and it would sound like a river. Yes, and I used to dream about. Uh, that sound and that highway and that river is going to take me away. And if I play my cards right and I keep getting better at music and I keep mm -hmm. trying, it'll take me to the the great people I'm going to play with and the chances and the opportunities I'm going to have. Yeah. And it was this really positive, deep, sentimental hope and yearning yeah. that the sound of that highway brought me. Huh. And I actually started writing Highway Whisper with a friend of mine named Carriott in Nashville maybe 10 years ago. Oh, and we came up with the title, and it was kind of a completely different song. But it never got finished, and I never loved it. It never made it onto an album. I would always, like, it was one of those sets of lyrics I would always, like, I look at every three or four yeah. months and try to finish. <laughs> or, like, maybe I should do this live. I love this idea. But it just sat there, and I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know what the song was. And then, literally, I was in the process of mixing this album. And you were that deep into it? I was, yeah, I, I, was, I was in the process of mixing every other song. Okay. And I was like, 
Highway Whisper. Now I know what this song is about. And I and you I, felt it. I brought it back to that feeling in Seattle, and it kind of brings this whole road and all this travel and experience kind of full circle mm-hmm. from the beginning before I started. I mean, I was already crazy enough to hop in an AMC Concord with my girlfriend and drive 3,000 miles from New York to Seattle. <laughs> but I hadn't really toured at all. I was yeah. just beginning to be a, a professional musician. Yeah. You know, going from being one of the talented college kids who's in lots of bands mm-hmm. to trying to make it a yeah. career. Pay rent, yeah. Um, and almost 90% of the song came came to me within about four or five days of reworking. I completely reworked the music. I see. I, and I, I called up Carrie, who I co-wrote, it was like, "Hey, I think this song is finally going to be on a record, but I completely rewrote it. Right. Is it okay? <laughs> what do you think?" And that's kind of like the that's the that's kind of the classy, sensitive thing to do when you wrote sure. a song with someone. Um, and and I was like, "I'm having trouble with this last verse," and he said, "This is your baby now. You take it, and run. Right. Like yeah, you, yeah, you've right. already got a thing for this." <laughs> and so then so then uh, I finished it up. Uh, another thing that's cool about the song is it's just bass and singing. Yeah, I was going to say the presentation uh, on that is just, just yeah. you and the bass guitar. And it's something that I discovered on a previous record of yours, uh, Low and Lonesome Sound. Yeah. It is predominantly that. That's a whole album. The, de- the deliberate focus of that record was that it's almost it's entirely bass so singing. so striking, so effective. Highway you whispered just enough to bring me home And highway you whisper everything I wish I'd known when there's no one else around to hear that lonesome sound whisper so I know I am not alone won't you whisper so I know I am not alone what is it about that as opposed to just doing the me and my acoustic guitar right, kind of right. thing. This is totally something that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't really think of too many other instances where an artist has put their vocal to a, a bass. There are maybe not many. The, I'll tell yeah. you, it's funny. The only, like, in, you'll find it in jazz. Sarah Vaughn right. did an album called yep. How Long Has This Been Going On? And there's one song where <clears throat> one, side one is her with um, her with a, a combo, Louis Belson, and uh, I think it's, oh gosh, I think it's Joe Pass on guitar maybe, and... But some of the greats. The, the upright player. But side two, each song is just her singing with just one of the... Oh, that's cool. So yeah. she just, it's just her and Belson on drums on one song, her and Joe Passling. That's really creative. And I'm, God, maybe it was Paul Chambers, but you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so in jazz, I get... In, you know, in but, jazz, it's more common. Hey, it's leave, still incredibly fever, rare. some brushes in the yeah, upright. But, right. but, um, but Annie uh, uh, Lambert Hendricks Ross, Annie Ross. Oh, has wow. done that a lot yeah, over the yeah. years. But, 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 but most really don't. It's a pretty rare thing. Senior songwriter-oriented music, yeah. though, is what we're talking about. And that's where this that's that's where this becomes Yeah, this quite... is definitely a singer-songwriter kind of a song. Uh-huh. And it's a little... It, I, I wouldn't say virtuosic, but it definitely incorporates the fact that I really know how to play the bass. That's right. Yeah. It's not like... Because of the voice leading. It's not fusion-y. No, or, no, no, or no. overly jazzy no, and no. complex and like a Victor Wooten kind of a way. But those lyrics um, really get to fly on this, yeah, too. Yeah, the whole point it, is the song. There's nothing holding that back, yeah. and so that story really comes out. Yeah, but uh, so, of course, as I'm writing songs over the years, I get, I get into the guitar, and a lot of the time when I'm touring, I'm solo, so I'm playing solo guitar. But when I play with a band, I always play the bass. Right. That's really my first main instrument. 
My first instrument as a kid was trumpet, but my first instrument I got really into and, and I feel good at mm-hmm. is the bass. Now, when you play live, do you play in that sort of a setting? Just yeah. Bass and vocal sometimes? Yeah, when I, when I, when I, uh, anyways, for, for a while when I would tour, I would travel with a bass and a guitar and I'd play guitar solo and then I would play bass whenever I, there was the budget to hire a band. Gotcha. Uh, and then maybe five or six years ago, I was at a gig and I was just like, the bass was there in the case on the side of the stage. I was like, hey, why don't I try something on the bass just for fun? Mm-hmm. And I really liked it. It's this kind of moody and intimate yeah. sound. It can be really dreamy. Um, it, the bass has a real mantra element to it, which creates a lot of space for the voice. And so now on every record, I'll have, I'll have at least one song, which is just bass and vocal. Does that. And Highway Whisper is the song on That's this album. Beautiful, yeah. And it's funny, you, you're the, um, the last guest we had on who's describing his album talked about a certain song sitting sequentially in the middle oh, right. of the track list. Oh, yeah. But also, it, it, but it seemed to tie everything else together. And unfortunately, yeah. in his case, he, he kind of had to remove it yeah. uh, due to unforeseen circumstances. But, um, but it's interesting that, that this track, which is, uh, clearly sparked something with our listeners, um, kind of serves that same purpose. For oh, yeah. Them. Totally. It, it, gives it, it, it gives the album more weight. Yeah, yeah, good for you. And uh, so now, how many? But how many solo records have you done now? This is number what? This is eleven. It's the eleven. Catching up with Springsteen. Yeah, yeah no kidding. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> and then, and then, so, and then, how many albums have you produced for others? Because I know you're uh, that's something else that you're, maybe ten or fifteen. And, and that's all been since I've known you. Let's yeah. Um, about- uh, the first record I did that I produced was by a friend of mine named Shy Blakeman. Um, uh, Funky Jen, Jennifer Gibbons. Course, I've done yeah, two EPs right. for her. She's a great. She's much more of a soul singer, and so yeah. she can really. We can really bring in this, like Joe Cocker, Mad Dogs, and Englishmen. <laughs> I remember sound, that was a period you were heavily which into I that. heavily love, yeah, but I can't sing that way, so I can't really do that <laughs> on my records. <laughs> I can uh, be Leon, Leon Russell, you know? but I can't be Joe. Yeah, yeah. sort of thing. Uh, uh, AJ Hobbs is uh-huh. a great country musician and actually very eclectic. But we did a great country record called Too Much Is Never Enough a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Creekwood is a killer band from Orange County um, uh, that was kind of like kind of eagles, but a little more bluegrassy. One of the great experiments from that record is they said, we want no electric guitar. Uh-huh. I was like, on the whole album? Not even like <laughs> in the background? Like, no electric guitar. Uh-huh. So it was kind of this bluegrass instrumentation with a lot of acoustic, and they had a great violinist, a great banjo player, and tons of harmonies. Well, yeah, uh, it was you've very, got it was that good. going. You don't, um, mm. Who else? Uh, uh, Nate Smith is a cool, um, kind of artier, darker rock mm-hmm. musician that mm-hmm. I've that I've done a couple albums with. Uh, so it's been great. I'm working. There's a wonderful, super talented woman I'm working with now, Emily Zuzik. Right. We're so, in the middle oh, yeah. of producing her record. In fact, she sings harmony on a couple yeah. of yes, these. Yes, she's on this. Um, another one, a guy named Clay DeBose. I'm producing his record now too. And, uh, and so how do you, good. How do you? find these artists how do they find you do they approach you as a producer or or does it start with like a songwriting thing and and, uh, and in some cases it I'm starts as a songwriter we're writing together in some cases i start as their bass player uh-huh. and then the more we get to know each other and the more we play together um you know well it's sometimes when someone hires you and this can be music or anything else yeah. sometimes someone hires you for a very specific thing and when they like and not so much now, but like when I was my first eight, my first six or eight years in LA, which is when we met each other. Yeah. 
Um, sometimes they say, I have, I have an album which is done and I love it. Please learn it as note for note as you humanly yep. possibly can. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they want you to kind of be yourself and change it up. Some, mm-hmm. And as you, as you become friends with someone more and you trust each other more, yeah. then you can kind of start bringing in your own personality and your own little, uh, uh, your own personal approach to things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, there are a few of those situations. I'd be in someone's band, and then over over the course of a year or two, I'm like, "Hey, how about we, um, you know, like it always feels kind of anticlimactic how that song ends. Let's maybe make the solo section longer, or do mm-hmm. a double chorus, or I think that bridge that maybe we change that one chord." And you start by making little comments like that, and then eventually they go, "Wow, every comment this guy's made has, has helped the song get yeah. better." Mm-hmm. And then, and then a couple of those situations is like, "Hey, why don't you just produce my record?" Yeah, yeah, you're experienced enough. Yeah. Um, at this point, some of the production things I've done have come just because someone's a fan of my music. Yeah. Or they've liked what I've done. Um, they're actually a very cool guy, um, Lars Kohlberg from Oslo, mm-hmm. was a fan of the AJ Hobbs record, and then he got got that record, listened to it, and then did research about who was involved, and then found a bunch of my records, and he just kind of emailed me out of the blue. He's like. Hey, I'm from Norway. Can you produce my next record? And I was like, Oh my God, what's your phone number? So we start talking, <laughs> and I was like, Okay, is this guy is this guy crazy or no? Yeah. This just seems legit. Um, May I ask? And, uh, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, is there something that you think sonically? Is there maybe a, a characteristic of your of your production style sonically hmm. that that people have have uh, mentioned to you or? or uh, yeah, there's a, there's definite, and it's also one of the things that originally drew. Shooter and I to to each other. Okay, is there's a '70s uh, analog mm-hmm. authenticity. Mm-hmm. I think it could mm-hmm. be '70s country. It could be '70s singer songwriter music, like the Jackson Brown of the Tom Waits we were talking about. Gotcha. Like, uh, one of the things that I love is when it's just really well recorded, a bunch of people in the room. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, and especially over over the last maybe five or ten years, I've got I've like gotten less. Uh, and wanting to change it up a little bit and add some interesting tonal stuff and yeah. and studio uh, like moves, intense compression or weird uh-huh. delays or whatever, getting a little artier with it. But kind of if it like you know for a, a deep model that entered my subconscious was Jackson Brown's Running on Empty, where it's sure. just like beautifully recorded, soulful. It's really more that stories that and a band. It's all presented. And not yeah. not as much produced as it was presented. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so that is kind of a foundational thing. So more than a few people have said, I just like how you let the songs mean what they're going to mean, and then they're really well arranged. Mm-hmm. And you're you know, you're not just adding a you know a badass fiddle player for the sake of it, or a cool extra guitar tone in the right speaker, just because you got some new gear you know and you, you want to you 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 don't just want it to be extra sonically thrilling. Right. Like a lot of music is a lot of there's a lot of music out there that is that is more bells and whistles and 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 like look at the explosion da, 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 da. right and there's not a lot of substance to it sure or the you know and and I want the substance in the song to be the most important thing you know right. you can't you can't just like uh, if the song is weak no matter how much you dress it up it's not going to be that satisfying listening experience. It's, funny, it's something you that know? I mentioned and during the Fender, because uh, uh, they were asked, well, what makes a country song? How you, what makes country <laughs> And I thought, well, one, and I was explaining just kind of like, you know, learning really 
basic chords, open chords, and just and one of the my theories, one of the reasons that that the chords are so plain and extremely diatonic yeah. in traditional country music is that we don't want to distract from the narrative of the lyric. Yeah, yeah. I, I want you to I want you to focus on the story I am telling you. I'm looking you in the eye and I'm telling you what happened last night or ten years ago, whatever it is. And I don't want I don't want to color that. I mean, I, I get that from Merle. I mean, that's what I feel from a lot of Merle Haggard stuff. Oh, yeah, totally. Not that Merle didn't know tons of chords. Not that Roy Nichols couldn't play wicked jazz. Cause he, but right. the idea is that, that Tonight the Bottle Let Me Down only has the chords in it that it does is because that's a specific choice the songwriter made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he wants you to understand exactly what this, um, what this situation is. Yeah. And, and what this conversation is. Uh, is about mm-hmm. uh, and and um obviously hank williams uh also had pretty much i mean that was the hank williams always sells his band just pure vanilla voice i mean they, <laughs> they wanted to stretch out and do stuff and he would just he would re, he would restrain them right right um in fact that's what was so offensive about hank senior when he came i think i think especially in nashville because they had been very sophisticated stuff going on these you know mm-hmm. there's orchestrations coming in and there's mm-hmm. and he deliberately took it back to like <laughs> it's like bare bones and right. simple yeah i mean he was it was like what are you doing you're being regressive you know and uh but um but he he kind of had it right not that the lush stuff doesn't have its place because it certainly does um but but there's again that's a choice yes and so i think that i that's what i hear in your not just in your songwriting but also in your production ethos if you will like to me they're very very connected um good credit to you but i but i would listen to it and i always think no but everything here is a choice you know people is like yeah, yeah, yeah there's a lot of making a record is a lot of just sitting in this room and staring at that screen and listening and make yeah and, and you're right. it's a lot of little choices yeah like what instruments do i add what tones do i use even specific like which of the of the mics that I own or can rent? Which ones should I use right. to we capture want, this particular sound we're going and for? And we don't want to lose ourselves in those weeds, of course, because right. it's so easy. Because yeah, at some yeah. point, it's like I do need to put this out, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, and actually, another thing I dig about Walking Shoes is I kind of deliberately kept it a little more bar, uh, not in bar bandy, but a little more like this is five or six people playing at the same time. I'm not going to get caught up. I have other records where I do a lot more <laughs> yeah. bringing in extra special guests and involved arrangements and lots mm-hmm. of horns. And See, again, um, I'm sorry, but the, what I took from that choice on yeah. that album was that th- that that band sound is essentially the sound that co- that you make when you leave the house. Yeah, Meaning yeah. when you go on the road, it's usually in order to make that sound yeah yeah yeah. that's on that record totally totally i could be wrong but that's what i thought well yeah this this makes sense this is yeah i wanted it i wanted to be part of this this uh this holistic this whole gestalt this kind of story so these songs are about being gone so much and then the the music itself is is really kind of representing the thing that makes you be gone yeah there's a no bs element and that's also one of the the, the, one of the the one of the reasons i was excited when i finally came upon the the album name walking shoes (laughs) <laughs> is it's a, it's a very simple and direct thing yeah. that everyone has a pair of old shoes in their life that they mm-hmm. know and that are comfortable. Yeah. Um, and it's a very simple and pragmatic thing. But if you want to get out and make a change and learn and grow and explore, you putting on those shoes is the way. first necessary thing you need to do <laughs> to get out of the house. Sure. And make this other beautiful, dreamier 
abstract stuff come true. Mm-hmm. So speaking of that, though, like you do, you you perform as a sideman. You perform yeah. under your own name. You tour. You produce records. You write songs. I mean, of all of the things you do, like what do you find you get the most satisfaction out of, or where, and also what do you find the most challenging of all of those things? Um, they all have their own challenges. I will say one of the things I love about all of them is they express different sides of who I am and different sides of me. Mm. Um, and I really love it when I get to wear different hats on different days or different hours of each day. Yeah. I thrive on that. I find when I'm when I'm just a sideman for too long, I start getting frustrated. Of course. Uh, when I'm when I'm when I'm writing too much and not performing enough, I start getting frustrated. When I'm performing a lot and not working in the studio and working on new lyrical ideas and stuff, I get frustrated. Okay. I should I should also say one of the reasons I started making so many records is because I was touring a lot with Shooter, and. I was like, wow, well, what, I, can, I can either just kind of randomly walk around these cities I'm in, <laughs> or I can develop an alcohol or drug problem. Mm-hmm. It's always <laughs> an going to waste or, the time. Sure. And, and what I did is I got a cool little Pro Tools rig, mm-hmm. and I started traveling with a mandolin or an acoustic guitar. And let's say four of my five, five of my records mm-hmm. were, were recorded predominantly in hotel rooms oh, around yeah, the country very, that's while very we were recording. Wow. So that I could, yeah, so that I would like... Just wake up at ten. Yeah. Go to the hotel room until four, and just like work on stuff, and da 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 da, and and then show up at sound check, be in a great mood because I've spent the last five yeah, hours no downtime. You're just doing what I was creating. doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then I could show up and kind of be have less of an ego and be more supportive of Shooter and Which the band. Which is another side you also you know. And then we so, go and yeah. have dinner with some friends in town and then do the gig and then you go to bed and repeat the process. And I was, I was trying to, staying productive and staying kind of artistically keep moving forward Yeah, uh, really helped me be sane and happy. Of course. On a lot of those. You know, it seems off topic, but isn't, there's a, a podcast called Everyone Loves Guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've you, done you, that. Oh, you've done it. Because I was going to say, uh, that's right, you have done it. Uh, because uh, that, that's what it reminded me of, is that uh, a lot of, I think, what he, what the host wants to get to in terms of conversation is, is um, is is how do we how as musicians how we can be more efficient people, healthier yes. people? This there's a common theme. These constant going towards, and this is a great example. Is my point. This is a classic example of yeah. how to maximize that time because, uh, and I always don't you feel as though we kind of learned these these good habits that you're describing uh, after the, just the clear uh, mistakes and pitfalls. Uh, of our predecessors, yeah, uh, you yeah, know, yeah, we totally. it's, it's this whole life yeah. that we're talking about is we're a few decades in, and so uh, it's kind of it's kind of easy to see how the dark side could easily take over, and yeah. and then also I just think and of course we have technology. I mean, you wouldn't need it, but we, technology does help a lot. In terms of, like, in your case, you could actually... It wasn't just um, about writing songs, but you actually made tracks. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you didn't need the help of anyone else to do it, uh, necessarily. I mean, in terms of yeah. just... You, you had you know a laptop, a couple of instruments, and then you were able to... Actually, here's a good, here's a good one that relates to that. Sure. And you were directly involved. Uh-oh. Back when Uh-oh. I was playing in, in your band mm-hmm. a lot, um, I was writing... 
a lot of, and I had another band called Union Pacific right. at the time. Mm-hmm. And you played guitar played, with yeah. me a lot. Um, uh, and a lot of those songs were were eventually going to become my first record. That's right. And so you and me and Soupy did one day at Hollywood Sound recording. Yeah. And we recorded... How many? I believe we recorded the basic tracks for the entire album in <laughs> one day, right, yeah. which was 10 songs or 11 songs yeah. or something like that. Now, we had done them all live. Yeah, I would say gigs. we were familiar. I don't, yeah, I don't so remember we just, really learning anything. We just day. had to kind of run through them all three or four times mm-hmm. until we got like, oh, right. yep, that was a good that's one. Like, yeah. And then, I, and then after that, I had it on my hard drive because that's what you, that, this was already that, that time do. when you'd have a hard drive rather than go home with the big analog tapes. Uh-huh. And I was thinking, okay, now... Do I invest $2,000 in like three more studio days mm-hmm. so that I can sing them well and try to mix this whole record? Or, I, I already had a decent laptop, not a great laptop, but I was like, why don't I just get Pro Tools for five or six or 700 bucks? And then I'll teach myself how to use it. Yeah. And then, and that's ultimately what I decided to do. And it's that it's that laptop and that little mini Pro Tools inbox I that I took you, on the yeah, road all those inbox, years. Yeah. And 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 then, um, and it was that kind of I, I don't know how popular the DIY was as a phrase at that point, but but I was that's kind of what you, I just started you were doing, doing it yourself yeah um, and I remember recording a lot in my living room in my kitchen mm-hmm. and um, uh, I would yeah, bring that you rig on the by, road you were here at this place by then I was not in this house yet my wife Wait and I had an, we had an apartment in Los Feliz you were Los, you're still in the place in Los Feliz <clears throat> still in Los Feliz. Oh um, and, uh, I did a bunch of that record with another friend, Corey. Remember Corey yeah, Gash from, from Santa Anna? I still see him every now and then. Too. Yeah, yeah. So I would go down to his place and we'd experiment and record and, um. Yeah. I remember going down there with you as well for maybe a day. Yeah. Yeah. Some, yeah. That's right. Totally. I do remember that's that. right. That's right. I, re- I remember that. Yeah. Anyway. So it's like, I, 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 and I took that little rig on the road with me, and, and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to write a lot this month. <laughs> and then the next yeah. tour, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to... Um, I, 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 I originally got a mandolin because I liked that Lee Von Helm played the mandolin. Mm-hmm. I remember that And I, likely, yeah. I like I like, you know, I like bluegrass and, and the, the, the tradition of the mandolin in general yeah. and music and David Grisman and all that. Mm-hmm. But, I, but, I, but the, our, our lockers on the bus, our closets were too small to fit a guitar. There's that. So I got a mandolin <laughs> so I could actually play something <laughs> while we're traveling around because it was tiny. Yeah. Um, and I got kind of got better at it. I was like, okay, I'm going to do mandolin overdubs on everything I can possibly do <laughs> this month. And then I got an accordion. Okay, I'm going to bring the accordion on the road and do accordion or whatever I can. And then I got a bazooki uh, <laughs> at, uh, uh, at this an, great an used music, like uh, kind of like vintage music store uh-huh. in Bloomington, Indiana. And I just started kind of incorporating all of these loves into this pragmatic thing. And like uh, right. with our first Shooter Jennings record, I wrote one of the songs that, was it was it was was our second single from the record? I, yeah, and it was a minor hit, but we made a video for it. It was a big one for me because um, I remember we did that tune uh, in your. Well, we did a ver- I think we did a version of it in your set. Maybe. Yes, we did, and then we rearranged it and right. it was more kind of like early Aerosmith, ZZ Top, Rockin' Way for Shooter, which it's is a, really cool. Um, which song is this? Steady by at the Wheel okay. is what it's called. Um, it's going on the playlist. and so I. Yep, it's going on the playlist oh, cool, now. cool, <laughs> and so then. I, I mean, I showed up in Nashville. and I was like, "Hey, I've always wanted to have. A, I've always wanted to write in Nashville." That's kind of one of the myths about. Yes. Not myths, but it's one of the legends sure. about Nashville as a music town. Mm-hmm. So I literally walked up and down Music Row, 
and I introduced myself to people. I was like, and and everyone's like, well, what? Who are you? And I was like, well, I got a cut. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> which is, which See, is, that, that is an advantage, you're though. Not just some random dude showing that up with your help. guitar. You have to. Admit. I was like, yeah, I got a cut. And everyone's like, yeah. okay, well, this guy's playing with Shooter Jennings. There's a buzz about Shooter. You know, this is uh, he at least was good enough to write one of the songs mm -hmm. on the new record. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense to uh, at least begin conversations. Yeah. And I, I ended up getting a publishing deal in Nashville for about five years, yeah. which was really great. I did a lot of writing and co I really learned how to co-write, which was a which was something of a natural extension of learning to be a good sideman, just as a bass player. Is it? Um, and being a storyteller, being a, a friend and a listener. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, like making music is not that different than having. Uh, you know the not that not, what's a good way to say it the skills necessary to make great music are not that different than the skills that are necessary to be a good guest in a like a dinner conversation interesting when you go over to some friend's house or some yeah. friend of a friend you know they're mm -hmm. like okay well now we need to make polite conversation now we need to read this person and figure out what their timing is what they're in the mood for Okay, I'm getting too heavy. Okay, I don't want to be too political tonight. Or, but these people are going to get the joke, so I can get funnier. Yeah. Okay, da, 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 da. These, then, then you roll out. I, let me tell you something about myself. I need to be a little more <laughs> vanilla. And then you can say, well, let me tell this. you something about okay, myself. So, yeah, well, totally. well, no, so here's totally. okay, So again, being on the road with Ted, what I found, what I, we, I, I noticed, yeah. like we would go into Manchester, England. None of us had ever been there. Mm -hmm. We don't know anyone. And you'd kind of, you know, find the venue and... You know, it's 11 a.m. You're just trying to get your gear in there and try to get your bearings straight and, and, and make sure they actually know you're supposed to play there yeah, that yeah, night. Yeah. So those are, Hopefully your poster is already up oh, when you're on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And then, you know, you guys figure this all out. And it was like, well, where's, wait a minute, where's Ted? And you look over and Ted, we've been there for seven minutes and Ted's at a, at a table with 12 people. <laughs> I'm not already, kidding. Already. And, and, he's, and he's already like built the following for the night and this would happen <laughs> over and over again and we would be in in liverpool and he'd meet some people and i do remember this and then because we went to this after hours thing remember it was uh the, the dj this the host of this after hours record thing oh shoot gandhi warhol yeah who was this <laughs> old guy <laughs> with a shaved head and he was in a uh, yeah. a navy j anyway so but then but you somehow are you met some some college kids i think and they were already going to have people coming to the Sheffield show the next night. And they did. We met, and we, Sheffield, there were some people that already, only because the night before, you know, and this is very Ted, mm -hmm. very gregarious. Um, and, um, and I think that is, I think you read the room. Uh, I, it's a, it's a gift you have. And I think Thank it served you very, very well. I mean, just saying like, just an observation, you know, that, that Ted, um, in that sense, you work fast. You know, and and, uh, and in this case, it benefited me. I mean, it's not just for yourself. I mean, you did it. You seem to do it for others. So that that analogy, that dinner good. guest thing, makes a lot well, of sense. Yeah, there's there's definitely a relationship. Yeah. Uh, and you know, like there have been times when, and you know what it's like when you when you tour with the same group of people. Sure. Um, sometimes it's all about. I don't want to sound too uh, cold about it, but sometimes it's it's more about doing the gig, and doing it well, and showing up in a good mood. 
well, and it's like it's not really appropriate to get super personal right well, yeah, now. Well, yeah. Well, the priority if, is the gig, yeah. by the way. It's what we're paid yeah. to do. Yeah. Um. So, uh, to me, that doesn't sound cold. Oh, yeah, you're right. I guess it could sound well, cold. It's not like you need to isolate yourself as a person because you're not truly a cog in a machine. We're actually flying somewhere to make music. That's right. You know. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, which is which is I mean, hard hard to make happen as a as a a way of living your life but and a lot of sacrifices going to it but it's really wonderful and satisfying and i'm not changing anytime soon and you probably are no, either yeah you know? i remember one, recently we were in appleton wisconsin and you know we had most of the day to ourselves uh a beautiful theater that we were playing but but the four band members at least kind of we all just as soon as we checked out of the hotel and we had some hours to ourselves before the gig and we all just spread out and did different things i went to uh 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 a Harry Houdini museum. Oh, that's awesome. Because he, that was his childhood hometown. And I don't know, the others were off, I think Mitch went looking for albums somewhere, furniture, I don't know, he was just, <laughs> but, but, uh, and walking from the museum to the venue, I happened across a music store, a guitar shop, I wandered in, and then, you know, 45 minutes later, all four of us band members were there at that shop. Uh-huh. Independently. Yeah, and we got there happens. together. Anyone showing each other, oh, you should check you all this. discover you go, the, yeah, you yeah, should yeah. buy this, and he should get, the, you know. And we were so it, it's funny, yeah. You know, like sometimes you do you do separate yourselves, and then more often you're like, oh, we just ended up in the same place anyway. That happens, <laughs> just, yeah. No, but you need to find feeling. you need to find your own little place and your own mm-hmm. chance to be yourself. Oh, sure. And when I tour with with groups, this ha- definitely happens with Shooter because it's the same batch of people. With a lot well, of works, time together, yeah, he's um, kept the same. Uh, I I kind of go out and I find a I make a friend at a coffee shop or da, 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 the guy down the street yeah. or uh, do like exploring and finding other social energy. Interesting. Where I can kind of be myself is important, and that's definitely helped me a lot as I'm doing solo tours. You know, because like, right. like whether it's whether it's in the Midwest or the South or Texas or uh, in Holland or Scandinavia, right. It's like I'm flying somewhere, I'm renting a car, mm-hmm. and then I'm alone. <laughs> it's, yeah. And so you, and so a way to improve your quality of life is to have personal relationships and get to know some people. Um, here's, here's one that I haven't thought of in a while. Um, when we were in England together, yeah, doing doing your doing uh, on, on the on the tour of yours. Um, I stayed in London. That's right. You stayed for a you couple stayed days uh-huh. with a friend of mine from Greece. The year before, right. I, I remember the we, year before we did that tour. I had played with Candy Kane oh, for a short time. It. Candy Kane, and my first big gig with Candy Kane was she flew us to Athens, Greece, <laughs> to play this bar where we were the house band for a week. And so we're in Athens, and it actually strangely, wonderfully enough, it had snowed. The night before we arrived, wow. the first time it snowed in Athens in decades, <laughs> and and Athens was known as one of the most polluted cities in the in the world, mm-hmm. except because it snowed, the air Cleared was crystal everything. clear, yeah. and there was snow on the Parthenon. Oh my god! And you're walking around, and they're like, there's a couple old timers like, wow, I haven't been able to see that island in the last <laughs> thirty years. This is incredible, you know. Um, but I re- but back then I developed this method of you if when you find the cool music store like the vinyl record shop or the cool guitar store or yeah. sometimes the cool yeah. thrift store yeah. in a college yeah. town that's your immediate way in to cool and interesting people so, okay, and so nightlife can i say so you here's know? a phrase that i remember getting this phrase from you okay. brian whelan i think on the everyone loves guitar <clears throat> interview i think he cred i 
think in that interview he credited Soupy with this. Oh, okay. But as I remember, it was you that you would come into a town. It's probably an old hippie thing, but you would come if you're new to a town, you want to find out like where stuff happens. You say, "Hey, where are all the freaks?" <laughs> does that sound familiar to you? Do you yes, it does. And that was like, yeah, it was the yes, thing. It like, does. That was kind of what Ted was like. Okay, I'm here, but like, I'm really looking for like the culture here, and so I need to find out where the freaks are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, I don't want to go to the hotel and look at the. It's the local bookstore. Look, at, book look, look, look the at the listing of what what's going on in it's the recommended stuff. In and also in a world yeah. that's becoming more and more big box and chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, telling one town from the next can get a little. Um, so, uh, no, but finding the unique make... quirks in each town, right. the unique little personalities and right. the strange Where stores. Where the ideas the, coming uh, from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, and I remember you, you that's what's fascinating to us. I do remember you mentioning that Greek uh, stand because I remember you said something about how you don't speak Greek, but but you but you kind of use your uh, is it etymology or entomology? Oh, etymology. The etymology. Form, the, where you. words come from. Because yeah. you would you realize, oh, if I use a word that ends in in certain suffixes or start with certain prefixes, they have Greek roots, and that was you. You do you remember? Yes, I do. No, yeah, totally. You kind of really navigated again. This is a very Ted Russell Camp thing to do <laughs> <laughs> to kind of figure out a, a a concise way to navigate relationship. Yeah, yeah. You know the puzzle. Yeah. The, there's a little puzzle in that. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which I which which is. Anyway, which I find fascinating. And that's actually, it's a driving factor behind, that's kind of what this new record is about. Gotcha. And what, I, what all my music is subtly about, now, I guess. Before we get too long, I want to take a, a moment and just, let's tell people how they find your music. I mean, how to, okay. what's the main source for? Uh, well, I got a website. Finding And my name music is Ted Russell Camp. Uh, so Ted and Russell is R-U-S-S-E-L-L, and Camp is K-A-M-P. It says tedrussellcamp.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, my music is also on like iTunes and Amazon and Spotify. Um, the usual and there's, I have a, I, I sell a lot of my CDs through CD Baby. So cdbaby.com slash Ted Russell Camp. Yeah. Instagram.com slash Ted Russell Camp and Facebook Ted Russell Camp. So aside from uh, the new album, Walk and Shoes. This is very, very hip. You presented us with these little 45 picture discs. Yeah. Uh, where where can these be found? Um, I think those are just at live shows. Okay, with okay. me, or also I think like CD Baby CD has Baby them. would have okay, them as well. Right. Or, or, or uh, you can just go through my website and type the merch, like go and like look for the merchandise. And if stuff, we go to yeah. your website and find your tour exactly. dates, you can find the shows. Yeah, my tour dates where you can get there. this in person. <laughs> That's right. Track all of these. No, but also CD Baby, there. like they can mail you some. Yeah. So it looks like side A is home away from home. Side B is this old guitar. That's right. Great pictures. Yeah, I mean, it's just beautiful looks looking. Looks wonderful. Yes, uh, the front one I want to mention. Stacy Fultz, wonderful photographer uh, in Arizona, I believe in mm-hmm. Tucson. We played not too long ago, okay. uh, and she, we just ended up hanging out after the show for about fifteen minutes, and she's like, "Oh, I'm a photographer. I took pictures today." It was like, "Great!" Oh, was that one of them from? Like, and that the was show? one of them from the live show. Uh, and then, cool. and then we just kind of stayed in touch. And then I was like, "Wow, she's not only a sweetheart; she's a great photographer." Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay, so, well, since you mentioned Home Away From Home on this this uh, beautiful uh, picture disc 45, uh, what are the odds that we can get you to do this soon? I'd say pretty good. All right, let's do this soon. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab one of your acoustics probably. Great. And, uh, and, and help you, help you with okay, this. Okay, wonderful. Here we go, Home Away From Home. One, two, one, two. I can't catch a fly, I'm a pretty girl. 
hit the highway, I know it won't be far. But I see familiar faces somewhere along that road. Every place I go is a home away from home. It might be one more time, so one more time, one more year before I'm back around. Might be a thousand miles, but never far to roam. And every place I go, always a homemade way from home. Yeah, could have played it safe, I could have stayed in bed, but I would stop and stay home. I'll miss when I'm dead. I didn't come here for the money, I didn't come here for the fame. I just hope it makes you smile every time you hear my name. Come on.
together Shouted out loud Just wanna please you baby You say now is best and to hell with the rest Still I'm a man here baby Gonna pass some tests Darling's already been scored You want all my soul and body Couldn't love him more But I feel the same about you You say now is better Now is a must Pretty Soon by Nils Lofgren, longtime E Street band member and uh, also obviously played with Neil Young and had a, a wonderful solo career for years. And he has a new album that Dave's going to tell you about in a minute. But let me explain why I'm now speaking by phone. Yeah. We ran out of time during our time with Ted Russell Camp. He had to race off to the studio to wrap up some sessions. So we didn't get a time. We didn't get a moment to do our normal conclusion that's right uh, as, as we do so uh so we're now doing this about a, a almost a week later yeah, about a week later and about a week later uh, and i'm at home uh and uh, dave's at home and we're just kind of throwing this together homes. for you guys two different homes yeah. now um <laughs> and uh and i thought ted was wonderful oh that was I, I such thought, a great I session everybody... Uh, I, I don't get to see that guy new as much as I'd like to. I feel like I say that about a lot of guests and people <laughs> in my life. Um, but yeah, very thoughtful man. And I'm very, very uh, proud of him in, in many ways. So, um, so the song you are before Nils, you heard home away from home. Yes. And that was Ted and I, uh, there uh, playing kind of just right in the same room where we recorded the, the interview. Uh, and that's off his album by the name of walk and shoes. 
mac and cheese. And uh, and then of course uh, we heard pretty soon. Now tell me about because I haven't heard the the Nils album yet. Yeah. The, Tell me about this album. What there's there is a story on this thing. Yeah. The the new record is uh, called Blue with Lou. Blue with Lou. Yes. And uh, which, by the way, yes. if I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to interrupt already. One of my favorite jazz guitar albums of all time is uh, by Grant Green, mm-hmm. and it's called Blues for Lou. Oh. And I'm wondering, and I, I'm just, I wonder, and and it was he because the title track is named for uh, a sax player. Lou Donaldson. Yeah. Uh, anyways, and this is like, uh, God, early six, I think 63 wow, or so I don't know when if that I, album came out. I don't think it's I'm familiar with album, that one. But, oh, it's such a great groove album. The thing is, it's not a very heady jazz album yeah. in a way. Um, point is, it's just, for whatever reason, that album just captured my heart when I first heard it. So the title of, of Nils's album is, is specific, but I also wonder as a guitarist if he's also kind of making an illusion in I some wonder. way yeah i wonder but, yeah. but who is the lou in nil's uh <laughs> in nil's references well in this case it's lou reed uh of velvet underground fame okay and uh yeah so the record's called blue with lou and the record is split uh split up with new songs and old songs. Um, so there's about six new originals, and then the other six tracks are songs that were co-written back in the 70s, uh, late 70s, I believe, with Lou Reed. And, you know, you probably have never seen photos of these two guys together or footage of them, you know, so you're wondering, like, how did this how did this happen? I'm not totally sure how it happened, but the way that mm-hmm. they were connecting and writing songs together was by phone and by mail. Uh, so Nils was sending tapes uh, to Lou to listen, you know, some music, and Lou would, you know, write some some lyrics to that. And right. uh, there's one story that I read in a recent interview with Nils where he said, yeah, like, phone rings at three in the morning, and I, I pick up, and it's Lou. And he's saying, "Hey Nils, I uh, I love the tapes you sent me, and I've been I've been up for three days just you know writing, oh, you know <laughs> writing lyrics, and uh, you know so if you if you got the time right now, I, you know I, if you can dictate them, I can read them to you over the phone. And so that's kind of you know pre-internet and everything. So this is how yeah. how they were conveying this sort of songwriting data to one another. And uh, a few of the songs actually showed up on." Um, uh, one of Lou's albums, uh, and I think a few more showed up on uh, on a Nils record as well. But there were still there were about a baker's dozen worth of songs that were composed between the two of them. So there's some unreleased material there that's never seen the light of day, and perhaps a recording was never made to begin with. So um, Nils decided to to dig some of that up and try to recall what some of the music was and, and embellish that a little bit and bring in Lou's words and actually put out these remaining unreleased songs. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so half this record is some, some really cool history. Uh, especially, Very. yeah, especially if you're a fan of either Nils or Lou, I mean, it's, it's, it's great, but the, the song we just, uh, came out of that segment with was a new one, a new original called pretty soon, which actually reminds me of a, a great track from uh, his old school album from just a few years back. Um, so Nils is still in top form, and uh, I think this is just a really cool, thoughtful thing for him to do to finish these these songs co-written. Wrap with, them uh, up, with Lou. Yeah. Well, so. that's a, well. Any Lou Reed fans of which they're still like that's a very devoted base, as yes. you know. Yes. Uh, they should definitely be uh, approaching this, especially as a bit of a time capsule of what what was on Lou's mind. Uh, obviously a very uh, dynamic and prolific period for the guy. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is a, a lovely time to just kind of run back and say, Oh my, you know, yeah, there's, 
what, what were the topics or what was his angle on yeah. topics at the time, yeah. you know? Um, that's very, very fun. Well, well, that's great. And so that's obviously a new release yes, coming up. Uh, what else are, are you excited about? Anything else new? What are you listening to? What's turning you on? Well, I'm going to do something totally different here. I'm going to keep it brief and I'm going to hold okay. myself to it. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to give you guys three, three songs that you should check out. If you can find them, uh, you might be able to find a couple of these on Spotify. One, you may, uh, you may have to find the physical product to get it. But, uh, mm-hmm. earlier in the show, I mentioned the new, um, EP by Elvis Costello and the Imposters called Purse. Um, There's a track on there called If You Love Me. It's one of the four new songs on that EP. Find that because that's broken into my my Dave's Faves 2019 uh, (laughs) playlist already. Um, A couple other songs and artists to check out that kind of hit me out of nowhere. Uh, There's another brand new release from Damien Hirado uh, called... uh, The album is called In the Shape of a Storm. The track I want you to check out is called Where You Want Me to Be. Okay. And then uh, the last artist I'd like to recommend is someone named Charlotte Cornfield. Um, she has a new record called The Shape of Your Name. And the mm-hmm. track that's really um, grabbed me is a, a song called Andrew. How about you, Gene? What are you listening to? Uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, I'll go to it more in the next episode. But I'm, I just suddenly got turned on to this band out of Austin called White Denim. Okay. Uh, and definitely... Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll speak more about them later. So white denim, there's a new fella, uh, country, uh, honky tonk guy named Jerry, Jeremy Pinnell. Yes. You told that me I'm that. really, really hot. Um, also I think so far my album of the year contender is, uh, the new one by Sarah Bareilles. Oh, really? uh, oh boy. Um, you got your Mark Rabot oh, on there. Okay. Yeah. I'm in. I'm in. No, so she is just, she knocks it out of the park. And, um, if somebody doesn't do something, of course we have, you know, we have much of the year uh, left to us, yes. but uh, but at this rate, I, I think I'm. It's like uh, not that it makes a difference, but that's three years in a row where the album of the year is by by a female artist for me. Nice, yeah. Um, and also a, a song called "Bad Mistakes" by Hollis Brown, okay. uh, and I guess that will be on our Spotify playlist hopefully. So yep, that's right. Um, those are the things that I'm really excited about right now that I, I've been I've been kind of. And obviously the Robert Plant, which we mentioned earlier yeah. uh, in the episode. Uh, so that's it for me. That's, that's for great. Me. You know, and yeah. we'd love to hear from the listeners as well. If there's anything floating yeah, your boat, you know, please yeah. contact us, post on our page, uh, tag us on some stuff. We'd love to hear what's really doing it for you because um, it can't just be one-sided here. We we can't just push music down your... Th- I guess we could. <laughs> I think that's the idea. Like, that, that's pretty much what we've been doing. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, we're happy to share. It was the idea that there's there's really great music being made all the time, and the idea, of course, is that uh, as we we try to try to make those, I don't know, make you wear those things. And but you're right, this is a conversation. So by yeah. all means, if, if, if listeners, please please let us know what you're excited about. That's right. that's kind of what it's all about. Yeah. All right, so let's it's time for the thank yous. Um, first right. of all, thank you to our sponsors, Satellite Amps or Satellite Amplifiers. You see them at satelliteamps.com, and they've got a new what they're calling the scamp lineup okay. of, of guitar amplifiers and it, it kind of extends into a, a few of the other models mm-hmm. they're making more more affordable versions of uh the neutron the omer and the and the cuda models oh cool uh kind of a no frozen also they're gonna uh they're making a, they're throwing in uh not throwing in but uh you can also purchase pelican air uh 1507 flight cases for those of you who want to fly your amp and also the scamp that i'm excited about it's it's a 22 watt amp 
uh, and it looks gorgeous. So please go to their site and look it up. But it also has a half power switch. It makes it a little more bedroom friendly or hotel oh, room wow. fl- friendly if, if uh, someone like me is uh, practicing. Anyway, um, so check them out at SatelliteAmps.com. And that's yesterday's technology today. All right. Okay. We also want to send out thanks to Tom Goldfogel at Full Circle Entertainment, Kim Grant at KG Music Press, uh, Greg Felden for our intro at the top of the show. Also, thanks to Nils yes. Lofgren. Uh, Nils' new record, Blue with Lou, is out now on Cattle Track Road Records. Grab your copy at Amazon.com, iTunes, or at NilsLofgren.com, where you'll also find out his upcoming tour dates and latest news. And also, he's been recording with Crazy Horse lately. So, yeah, we'll talk about that in the future. That's coming. Uh, Also, huge, huge thanks to uh, our guest and host, uh, Ted Russell Camp. His new album, Walking Shoes, is available now. Please go to tedrusselcamp.com and stay tuned for everything he's got coming up. The Jukebox Graduate is available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Alexa, Google Play Music, Podchaser, Listen Notes, Player FM, Stitcher, Overcast, and probably a million more. <laughs> Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen. And also check out our companion episode playlist on Spotify. The link will be on our homepage at thejukeboxgraduate.com. You can find us on Facebook at The Jukebox Graduate and Twitter at The Jukebox Graduate. Okay, Dave, it's time for the quote. What you got? I want to live in the same house beneath the same roof, sleep in the same bed, Search for the same proof. I'm Dave Rayburn. Once I built a railroad, I made it run, made it race against time. Once I built a railroad, now it's done. Brother, can you spare a dime? I'm Eugene Edwards, and this has been The Jukebox Graduate.